Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazor. And this this is the weekly recap episode, but we're going to mix things up a little bit because normally we cover football recruiting first, but we've had such a little bit of a, you know, you could we could say that we had a little bit of a significant happening go on in the men's casketball realm. So men's casketball will lead off the show, then football recruiting, then women's casketball, and of course, the wacky segment of the week. But let's just start off with the biggest bit of news in regards to K-State sports in this last week, and that is the 83-82 to overtime victory in Bramlage Coliseum up against KU in basketball. And I was at this game. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. <laughs> I, 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 this game was going to kill me. <laughs> I was not at this game. And I also thought I was going to have a heart attack. I was just sitting in my living room for a while. And I was standing and I was just pacing. like take, trying to take deep breaths. I mean, talk about a stressful game from, for pretty much the whole second half through to the very, very end. I mean, that that was unparalleled stress. I I feel like, um, especially because in my lifetime, there have not been many times that we have held off KU as much as we did in this game. A lot of times when KU makes that furious comeback, we just can't stop them, and we actively stop them very often in this game. It, it, it was a new experience, I, I guess I'll say, but. What a what a game! Uh, that's an understatement because I mean that that was just unbelievable. Yeah, and the way that ended as well, you know, with their their top player Jalen Wilson ending up getting posterized by KJ on a on a lob to end the game. That was, I that's I feel, I that's not as loud a pop as the the Cartier dunk. I'm not sure that many things could be, but. The pop following that from the crowd and then immediately afterwards, you you mentioned that someone wrote it down as like 117 was the max decibels in there that it reached. I almost guarantee you it was more whenever we finally won the game because that was the only time that I could physically feel my ears pop from the noise. (laughs) Otherwise, it was just sustained. So my ears would ring, but not pop. I, I wish that I could have gone but first day of class and then three classes the very next day. So I figured probably not the most intelligent thing in the world to go. Plus, I couldn't get tickets if I tried. So that would have been a suboptimal play. But and before we go into stats, I'll let you take starters because I know you, you, you love the starters. But uh, something that's worth noting is the officiating was garbage. And I know that this is like. It's easier to take the high road on this whenever you win the game. But I'm going to be completely honest with you. The officiating was garbage for both sides, where both sides benefited and both sides like were hurt by it. The the la- the overtime was basically a free throw shooting competition towards the end. Jalen Wilson ended up, quote unquote, getting injured, stopping a fast break that you know he wasn't subbed out for. Ish, the controversial no call on him being out of bounds. I don't think he was, but again, it's not reviewable either way. And it was just really, it, they couldn't pick either. They couldn't pick whether it was going to be like 
an actual like Kane versus Abel rock fight, or if they were just going to, you know, call everything. And if they just picked one of those, I'm sure I, none of us would complain, but they didn't, they switched like every five minutes. Yeah. That, that was one of the most frustrating parts. Like I remember early in the game, they were letting a lot of contact go, but then they really started to get pretty touchy with the foul calls. And, uh, they at times would call light contact, even no contact at times. Other times you would see a guy get to a ton of contact and there wouldn't be anything. Uh, the big example, honestly, a, a, one of the most egregious calls could have gone either way, which was, I say egregious call. It wasn't a call was the issue is when Naquan Tom was going up against, uh, I think it was Clements in overtime. And, uh, uh, Clements flies and you know there's there's a flop rule for a reason there and he doesn't get called for a flop so that implies that when he hits the floor it's either a block or a charge and you can argue that it's a block because he was kind of moving you can argue it's a charge because Nick Tomlin somewhat extended his arm so call one of them at the yeah, very least one of them yeah and this was a just really poorly efficient. I think the biggest issue with it is the inconsistency. You touched on that. Uh, if you're going to call a game tight, fine. That's not entertaining and sucks, but at least you're going to do that consistently sure. or let a lot of contact go, which will be frustrating at times for both teams because well, contacts will go uncalled, but at least it will be consistent. But at the end of the day, they call 49 fouls in this game. K-State uh, has one player foul out. KU had uh three three starters fell out uh granted one of them was having maybe the one of the worst nights of his career so he wasn't a massive loss but it was a uh, it, it was interesting officiating um i do kind of agree with you i i think that the ishmael thing at the very end is kind of overblown um to me it at the very most generous was a 50 50 yeah. and I to me it looks like his back was lifted. Yeah. Again, I'm super biased. I'm I'm in like the one percentile of the absolute most, most biased, biased people. Yeah, yeah. Like so, to take my word or don't. But to me, it looked like his back was a little bit off the ground, and that he wasn't actually out of bounds. He was just close. But it wasn't. They they wouldn't have like feasibly been able to review it because uh, I mean the horn sounds. I didn't call it in the moment court storms nobody really contests it KJ waves at the the KU bench yeah (laughs) Bill Self doesn't complain about it or anything I mean KU fans complain about it a lot it was very interesting to see the uh I'm KU fans on the other side of the mirror I guess in this one where so often teams are upset with officiating after they play (laughs) KU and it was very interesting to see KU fans on the uh the other side of that uh kind of a fish out of water I, I guess, but it, it was unusual. I don't really have anything to add to it other than it was definitely interesting because it's just that just doesn't happen very often. KU's very rarely on the side of uh, uh, sketchy refereeing. Uh, yeah, sketchy officiating. Although, granted, both teams managed to find a way in that department. Um, but uh, another thing, um, I forgot what I was going to say. So, <laughs> well, you can take the starters. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, so starters leading the way for K-State 
for the starters, Keontae Johnson uh, had a huge, huge, huge day. Uh, 34 minutes, a little bit lower than normal for him because of foul trouble in the first half. He goes 7 to 17 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3, 8 of 9 at the free throw line. Significant improvement from what we've seen recently. Eight rebounds, three fouls, two assists, two turnovers, one block, two steals, 24 points. I remember the block was like in the first minute of the game. Yep. <laughs> I forget it. I think it might have been against Wilson, maybe. I think, but, it, I think it may have been as well because that was a, another big. Yeah crowd moment yeah i i do remember that 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 was big because i was on a fast break as well but uh Keontae, huge did not play m- m- much of the uh late first half because of foul trouble but we did bring him back in for the very last offensive possession and he hit his trademark iso fadeaway that his borderline automatic granted he, he did miss a few of those in the second half uh he was being defended pretty well on them um uh, but Keontae johnson was fantastic obviously had the game ceiling lob at the end probably a top three bramlage moment i'd say uh up there with a the jar dunk and insert other bramlage moment i guess but <laughs> maybe maybe the streak ending but uh Keontae johnson was fantastic uh, made some big defensive plays, had a couple turnovers, but not, nothing nowhere close to as egregious as he was in the previous game, which we'll talk about briefly. But Keontae Johnson was instrumental, especially at the free throw line. Of course, he gets the curse uh, from Fran Fraschilla, uh when he did miss his one free throw, um, which uh, Fran's been taking a lot of heat uh, this week anyways from, from KU fans. I'm not really sure why. I, yeah, they're I, just I, mad. Like they're just mad. I, I think so because I, I didn't detect much bias from him. Like he, I mean, he just really likes the Big Twelve. I, I don't think he's anti KU, but I'm not the guy to ask on that. But Keontae Johnson was absolutely phenomenal. Naquan Tomlin was really good too. Uh, he played 41 minutes. Uh, definitely the most he's played, uh, as far as off the top of my head, at least. Yeah, five no, and eleven the from the field. Played. 0 of 2 from 3, 5 of 6 at the free throw line, 10 rebounds, 5 of them offensive rebounds. Uh, He did foul out in overtime, then had 3 turnovers, a block, and 2 steals, 15 points. One of his turnovers was pretty bad. He got an offensive rebound and threw it directly to Dewan Harris, Uh, and I think it resulted in points, but that was a really bad turnover, but that's just part of it with Naquan Tomlin. He's just so inexperienced in organized basketball. You're just going to have moments like that. And he gave us 15 points, 10 rebounds, gets us a double-double in a huge game. I'm okay with trading the 15 points and 10 rebounds for three turnovers given the result. So it, it is what it is. And 0 of 2 from 3, I still want him to keep shooting because uh, 6'11 close. dude. He's yeah, close. Six, yeah, 6'11 dude with super long arms. Yeah, I want him to be able to shoot from anywhere on the court. Uh, Cam Carter played 26 minutes. Had a pretty rough day, honestly, from the field. One of six from the field, one of two from three, uh, two of two at the free throw line, three rebounds, three fouls, two assists, two turnovers, ended up with five points. He missed some uh, point-blank layups, several point-blank layups, including one that was just wide open on a fast break. He uh, ended up brimming out. Uh, So pretty difficult day for Cam Carter, uh, but he still contributed, and he played really tenacious defense. Um, So we survived despite him missing some easy ones. He hit a big three at one point as well. Uh, hit both his free throws. 
quality performance. Need to see better from finishing at the rim. Granted, there's a lot of players that we need to do uh, that need to do better finishing at the rim. Uh, hopefully, when David Gasson gets back, uh, that will be something that improves. Uh, then you have Marquis. You've got Marquis Noel. Uh, 42 minutes most on the team. Two of eight from the field. 04 from three. Uh, like Jerome Tang, I absolutely thought that that shot at the end of regulation was going to go in. I, it it looked really good on the broadcast. I couldn't believe it didn't go in. Uh, but he still gets four rebounds, four fouls, seven assists, three turnovers, four steals, and four points. DeWan Harris and Marquis Noel locked each other up in this game, to, which was kind of funny because uh, they both really just had no offensive production, really. Like Marquise makes two shots. DeWan Harris made one. Uh, they they really just went all out on defense against each other. Marquise Noel, though, he did play fantastic defense because he was guarding Grady Dick a lot. And uh, Grady Dick I, probably... I thought that was a suboptimal matchup at first. I did too. And Grady Dick... Um, did not really have a fantastic night when he was guarded by Marquise Noel, even in the post. They just couldn't get the ball into him. Marquise is just so tenacious, uh, and he's able to get there on the front. He played excellent defense. Marquise Noel, he stepped up in every area of his game when he was struggling from the field. So have to tip the tip the cap there because he obviously offensive output, worst game that he's had all year, but still got seven assists out of it, had four steals, some Really big steals. Big shout out to Marquise Noel for his performance, uh, despite not performing offensively. Then a Miagiola plays 21 minutes, one of three from the field, missed a couple of easy ones, got absolutely just destroyed at the rim uh, on a dunk attempt. Uh, two of four at the free throw line, four rebounds, three fouls, one assist, one turnover, finished with four points. Got some quality minutes there. Uh, made a couple of big free throws, then missed a couple later, but... All in all, solid performance for Miami Agiola. Still filling in for the injured David Gasson. Again, David Gasson being out makes it all the more impressive that K-State has been doing what they've been doing because they, the, I mean, they've been missing their best interior player. Uh, David Gasson is by far their best uh, at finishing at the rim. And being this successful without him, that's impressive. So a lot of credit to Drum Tang, Ronnie Perry, and the offensive game planning for finding ways to score without having one of your best weapons, David Kassan. Yeah, because I, I think that whenever he comes back, I think that's that that'll be that'll be massive. But we have three bench players to cover, including arguably the MVP of this game. That is Desi Sills coming off the bench, had 34 minutes, 7 of 11 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3, 8 of 9 on his free throws, 4 rebounds, only 1 foul, 2 turnovers, 3 steals, and 24 total points. He he was awesome this game. He basically just turned into Marquise Noel for this game, except for you know fewer assists, but in fact, no assists, but he, he basically took the offensive production that we're used to from Keys, which honestly I'll take. I don't care where the production comes from as long as it comes like comes from the game. I don't care. <laughs> but outside of Desi, who honestly has my my pick for MVP, would you say or would you pick KJ? I'm I'm all Desi on this one. He was huge. Um, and I think you put it well. He took Marquise Noel's offensive production and stepped up. 
because KU's defense was so focused on denying Marquise Noel offensive production and trying to limit KJ as much as possible. So they never adjusted for Desi Sills, really. Um, they they guard him a little bit tighter, but they were still so focused on stopping Marquise and KJ uh, that Desi was able to step up. He was absolutely massive. And again and again, we're reminded why the staff was so patient with getting him to campus. And even though he was a late arrival, why he's just so integral to this team. Yeah. Then our, like the the redemption story of the year, and Ish Masood played 17 minutes, two of three from the field, two of two on his three attempts, uh, two rebounds, three fouls, one block, one steal, six total points. Again, those threes were massive because they came in pretty high pressure situations, and uh, we've we finally put Ish in in his more natural niche, which is that you know if if you need a guy to make a clutch three. Yeah, Ish is your guy. And honestly, he stepped up his defense a lot. It took him like two weeks to go from complete liability to pretty solid defender. <laughs> it took two weeks. Yeah, yeah. He, I am super happy that he stepped up. And yeah, like you said, the threes, absolutely huge from Ish Masood. He's been very timely the last uh, few weeks with his threes. Yeah. And rounding out the team is Tyke Green played 10 minutes, 0 of 1 from the field, 1 of 3 on his free throw attempts, 3 total rebounds, 2 fouls, 1 point. Again, he just played really solid defense and drew fouls. I think that's what Tyke Green's role on this team is, is to be a good defender and draw fouls at this point. So I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, that's all that we need from Tyke Green at this point uh, in the season, uh, at least for now. Uh, I I really like him and I'm happy that he's like found this role. But then again, he also has games like uh, I think it was uh, against TCU. He had like 11. So he's still capable of scoring. We just don't need him to right now. Yeah. But this was, well, speaking of <laughs> that, that was the Sunflower Showdown. And you, you, you know why we covered it first because it's the biggest rivalry. It's one of the most historic rivalries in the country. It's up. It's honestly up there with like North Carolina and Duke, to me at least in my mind, from my one hundred percent totally unbiased perspective. But <laughs> yeah. you know, winning the first game of that rivalry is big. Yeah, and I, I, I that, that's huge. Is getting that first one in the rivalry uh, for the season, and then uh, for the Big Twelve title race, it's huge. Um, and then just uh, from a program perception standpoint it's it's also massive and i i i do like uh jerome tang uh making that speech after the game i uh, was not expecting it but i i've been pretty on the fence about getting the rid of the chant keeping the chant whatever i have jim my thing has generally been you're not going to stop him so why bother he is really starting to convince me to swing to the other side of the fence uh, maybe some of that is because I'm now an old since I'm not in college anymore. But I know, I know I'm just I'm very pointing at him at this point. But I he he is really starting to convince me. And I think we just needed to get this out of our system, honestly. <laughs> I, I think we I think we really needed this win as a program, uh, a fan base, um, because I mean, losing this game would have been huge in a bad way. Because we would have immediately found ourselves in a hole uh, on a two-game losing streak. 
trending down, that would have been absolutely awful. But instead, we turned around, beat the number two team in the country, uh, in-state rival, uh, and grind it out, too. This is a game that a lot of K-State teams don't win. Yeah. I, not a lot of teams are tough enough to win a game like this. Uh, I I was just so, 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 so pleased with how he performed. I One of the most stressful basketball games that I've ever watched, but, man, I am thankful for Jerome Tang. I'm starting to lean towards getting to retiring the chance, I guess I'll say. Um, but students are going to do what students want at the end of the day. We'll see yeah. if they if they listen. If anybody can make them do it, it's Tang. Yeah. So if he can't do it, nobody can. And I hope he doesn't feel too bad about that. But I mean, yeah, I j- just over the moon about this game and how it's raising our profile, uh, what it does for our tournament resume. Of course, getting a big win over an in-state rival, just so 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 huge. Yeah, and my official stance on the on the chant is I don't care. So anyway, we'll move on to the TCU. <laughs> that uh, we're kind of going to gloss over this one because I feel like it's it's pretty common knowledge that this that we just weren't ourselves this game. It was an 82-68 loss in whatever godforsaken abomination TCU's court is supposed to be. And you know, for for an, for a Christian university that that court is an affront to God. So we can just talk. <laughs> it's actually the gateway to hell uh, if you weren't aware, but yeah, that was, gosh, what what an ugly court. We can we can just kind of go over like notable stat lines here. I'll take starters. Uh KJ, 39 minutes, 18 total points, nine rebounds. He was perfect from the free throw line, but seven turnovers. Yeah, you can't have that. Uh Keys, 38 minutes, 16 total points, two of seven from three. Got both of his free throws, two rebounds, four assists, again, six turnovers. This is like the vintage Marquise Noel game and not compliment. <laughs> yeah, a lot of those points were late. He was held in check for a lot of the game. Yeah. Uh Naquan Tomlin, 29 minutes, eight total points, 10 rebounds, though, five assists. He had, I never thought I'd see the day where Naquan Tomlin had more assists than Marquise Noel, but here we are. That is not a stat line that you want to see. Uh, Cam Carter, 25 minutes, four total points, missed all four as his three throw ugh, threes, uh, five rebounds, two fouls, one turnover, one block, two steals. Then rounding out the starting lineup was Abayami Ishiola, who only played 10 minutes, did not score, only got two rebounds, two fouls, two turnovers. It, Starters, not great. Yeah. Um, bench players, not a ton to report here. Tyke Green uh, was on fire in the 10 minutes that he played. He went five of seven from the field, one of two from three, missed his one free throw attempt, had 11 points, uh, one rebound, two fouls, and a steal. Uh, probably his best game on the year. Uh, so good for Tyke Green. Ish made two threes out of four attempts, seven field goal attempts overall, had six points, three rebounds, two assists, a block. Desi Sills, not the best day for him. He just didn't do a whole lot. Uh, two, three from the field, one or two from three, five points, three rebounds, two assists, one block in 31 minutes. I, I think if you just go up and down the stat line, the biggest takeaway here is we had 20 turnovers, and you cannot win games in the Big 12 when you have 20 turnovers, especially when the other team only has 10. 
that's just not sustainable. TCU had 15 steals. Keontae Johnson, I think we've mentioned it before. If we've not, we should have. But probably the biggest weakness in his game is that he's just not a good ball handler. He's not a very secure ball handler. That's just not his game. Uh, and that, that's really been his weakness all season. Uh, so they really exposed that in this game. TCU is a matchup nightmare for us as well because they can match our guard play uh, at least to a certain degree because they're really fast and athletic on the perimeter. And then Eddie Lampkin, who I'm not convinced is actually a good basketball player, uh, did. Yeah, he's just he's just a bigger dude. Like this is very similar to the uh, uh, Butler game where the other team just has a guy that's really big with a couple of post moves and we just don't have anyone big enough to stop him. Um, Eddie Lampkin's able to just kind of bully ball his way in and just be bigger than our guys. He had 17 points. Uh, Mike Miles, obviously really good. Um, Just TCU is an athletic downhill team and they frankly did not shoot the ball very well. Uh, Field goal percentage was very similar. The big difference is that they had more possessions uh, at least uh, possessions that didn't end in turnovers, I should say. They shot 71 shots. We only shot 65. They made 33. We only made 28. They only made three threes out of 19. We didn't do much better, six out of 21, but that's almost double uh, percentage-wise better. Uh, we went six to seven at the free throw line. They went 13 and 19. Most of those were late. So it was mostly even throughout the game. But basically what this is, you can look at the stat line and what it, is screaming is that K-State and TCU are in half-court settings, evenly matched, and there's a pretty convincing argument for K-State being a much better half-court team. The big difference is that TCU is really good at forcing turnovers and really good at getting out in transition. And we got exposed in that regard, and they absolutely deserve to win this game. And nobody's going undefeated in the Big 12. I mean, literally, but also it's just a – it's just a tough, tough conference to do that sort of thing. And so yeah. I don't think anybody expected that we go undefeated sucks to lose the first one, but get it out of the way. TC is a really quality team. We played a much better second half, uh, at least offensively. We were even with TC in the second half, 39, 39, but still lose by 14. Cause just a really rough first half. And I don't know. Just, I, I, I hate to say that all, like just don't turn the ball over, but that's really like the best advice. Like, yeah, coming out of this game, just don't turn the, the ball over. Like seven from Keontae, six from Keese, thirteen turnovers from your two most prominent ball handlers. You're gonna lose a lot when that happens. So yeah, that I have almost nothing else to say about this game other than wildly disappointing. But I've already forgotten about it. Because yeah, of because it's amazing game what that win can do, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crazy what beating the number two ranked team in the country will do for your psyche and your your view on your basketball team. Yeah. But the next men's basketball game is this Saturday in Bramlage up against Texas Tech, a squad that's, you know, obviously still a Big 12 school and anyone the, the Big 12 can beat one another. But Texas Tech is kind of on that, kind of on a step down, which is weird. But yeah. They are having a rough season. They yeah. just lost again uh, on Wednesday. They're 0-6 in Big 12 play. They were, relatively speaking, handled by Baylor. 
Uh, they got blown out by Iowa State a few weeks ago. Iowa State's really emerging. Tech is not very good. Speaking of Iowa State, we played them uh, the following Tuesday. Yep. So on the road at Hilton, that's going to be a really tough matchup. Iowa State probably tied with Oklahoma State for the best defense in the conference. Probably. And Oklahoma State, their defense gave us fits. But I, the difference is that Iowa State sometimes has offense, so we just got to hope that we catch them on a night where they don't. So. Yep. Uh, that is that is a good assessment. But that is that is the men's basketball news. Now we can move on to the football recruiting news. It's kind of weird doing. It's kind of a weird feeling doing this out of order, but we kind of had to with the <laughs> how the priorities emerge. Yeah. But we'll first start off with the new transfer portal entries because I believe the day that. No, the day before today was the last day that you could declare to go into the transfer portal, at least for the time being. And we have three new entries. That is Brennan Hawkins, the wide receiver, Ozzy Hoffer, the defensive end, and Kingsley Ugu, the offensive tackle who follows us on Twitter. Uh, I hope that doesn't change, but <laughs> on the road to 1,000, by the way. But <laughs> Hey, we are getting there. We've, we've been making some pretty significant progress. We are 37 away. We're we're doing we're we're much further along than we were when we uh, started this pseudo challenge. I say challenge as if we have to actually do anything challenging. We don't. No, we, so, we just have to keep doing what we normally do. We post stupid memes on Twitter and give opinions nobody cares about. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's all a, it takes. That, that's our if podcast, that, bro. <laughs> if that's all it takes to get more followers, then we can do this all day. Yeah, absolutely. But. Uh, Brennan Hawkins, eh, take it or leave it. No offense to him. I didn't see a path to playing time. Ozzy was a freak athlete. That's a shame. Kingsley Ugu, I feel like, is the most obvious ouchie here. But even then, I I think our tackle room is so stacked with guys that are younger than him that I get it. Because I, I as much as I was high on Kingsley Ugu whenever he transferred in from Hutch, I believe it was, uh, Jalen Clem and John Pastore were better coming in. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I I hate being the guy that's like, oh, all the guys that leave the program were worse. All the guys that are coming in are better, like and stuff like that. But I mean, these are all uh, losses that I'm I'm like sad to see go, but I'm not surprised because Brennan Hawkins. I mean, maybe could have been a good receiver, but I mean, look at the receiver class we just brought in transfer keegan johnson philip brooks comes back and then three really good really really good freshmen and then sterling lockett allegedly emerging starting to become a guy four big freshmen i should say but it's andre wesley jace trey trey yeah i forgot somebody in there i don't know who it was it was probably davis not davis uh it wasn't davis brown it wasn't jace no, it was actually Spivey Vol. It was Spivey. You and I forgot the same guy. Huh. <laughs> but which is weird because he's probably the best of all of them. Yeah, I know. I guess it's just because he's the most recent. But anywho, Ozzy Hoffler, I'm also sad to see go. I was kind of hoping he could develop. I think he moved back and forth between uh like edge and uh linebacker. I think we wanted him to try and move to like become a Sam, but he may just have not had the uh, agility for it. Uh still a really good athlete though. Uh, uh, edge rusher, so maybe he transfers down a level. His brother's at Clemson, so maybe he finds his way there. And Kingsley Ugu, I, I totally get it, dude. I mean, he's like a senior, 
the entire offensive lines back and we are just bringing in fantastic offensive linemen uh, in the younger classes. So I get it. Kingsley, like I, I don't blame you at all. I'm sad to see him go. Cause I was hope I had high hopes for him. And also he does follow us on Twitter and I hope he continues to, but I, 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 I'm sad to see him go, but I get it. I've, I've said that like four times already, but yeah, that's really all I have to say about it. Yep. And we'll do an episode probably at the, whenever all of these guys end up finding a home, we'll do an episode, you know, what, like, where are they now? Cause obviously we did that. We kept track of a few guys, but now we can talk about people coming back in and, and uh, new commits, but first coming back, something we didn't expect Daniel Green's coming back for his like eighth year of college football. K State. Yeah, that, that was surprising. Um, uh... I had zero expectations for Daniel Green to come back. Um, and then just out of absolutely nowhere, he just announces that he's returning. And that is just absolutely huge. I don't know if it's he felt he had more to prove in college. I don't know if it's he got feedback from scouts and it's sticking around. I don't know if it's that he just he absolutely wants a doctorate. loves it. Yeah, I mean, maybe he wants a doctorate. He, he committed in 2017. And... He has been on campus for a while. Granted, he didn't get to campus for a year, but he committed in 2017. He was a 20 class of 17 guy. Like he graduated high school before I did. Like, I like, like it's crazy to think about. Like he's probably at this point, maybe the only guy on the roster that's older than I am, which is really weird to think about. And I, I'm in that same boat. Oh, I'm super, super happy that he is returning. Uh, I, I was excited to see who we could find at Mike Backer. I was excited to see a lot of Terry Kirksey. I think we probably still see a lot of Terry Kirksey anyway, because I think he's going to be too good to keep off the field. But yeah, Daniel Green coming back for another go around. I, I expected all season if he was going to the NFL. So it's absolutely massive to get, I think, fifth leading tackler on the roster back. Uh, he fought through injury all season. Um, this is just massive in every every single way. I mean, bringing a guy back like Daniel Green that probably should be going to the draft that that's huge. Yeah, that's that's really all I can say is starting Mike linebackers back, and that's it's awesome because he was a good middle linebacker. But now we have a transfer commit, and this is to fill, I think, the most obvious remaining hole on the team with the exit of Eli Huggins and Robert Hentz. That is nose tackle, and that is the former edge from Mississippi State, Javon Banks. He's joining as a nose tackle. And if you were anything like me, you hear, oh, he was an edge player. How are we going to play him at nose tackle? Because you look at his recruiting profile and it has him listed as an edge who weighs like 240. Uh, that's not a thing anymore. He's he weighs like 310 now. <laughs> yeah, he is basically uh, body type. He's Robert Hens, but uh, a little heavier because uh, Hens was like in the high 200s. But Javon Banks, I'm very excited about. He was not unproductive at Mississippi State, uh, had like 17 tackles this past season. Again, nose guards don't get a ton of tackles. The main thing is just blowing up uh, the inside. And now I think we have three guys. Well, definitely two, maybe three that can truly be contributors. Uh, Uso Sayamalo, 
Javon Banks, and we'll see what Damian Leo does. I think a lot of people assume that he's just like ready to be the guy because he made the huge play in the Big 12 Championship. This is one snap of the game, by the way. He he certainly did make a great play, but also one snap isn't enough to sit here and know. I'm not saying that to discount him. I'm just saying that we probably need a bigger sample size before we say that he's ready to be a Power 5 starter. But I am super, super happy adding Javon Banks. That's really the last major immediate pressing need I think that we had. I think we're at a point where we could probably, if there's room, add another safety. But again, like that would be that'd be big. But I, I really like where this roster is at right now. I think we're in reloading mode. I, I think is probably where we're at. Yeah. Um, returning a lot, obviously lose big contributors, uh, Deuce and Felix, but getting Daniel Green back is huge. Transfer classes, really good. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty happy with how the portal has gone for us. We oh, pretty yeah. much all of our major targets, handful of exceptions, but we did a really good job. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that I would really want is another safety, unless we're moving Darrell Jones to safety. Please move Darrell Jones to safety. <laughs> yeah, we have no inside info. We just kind of want it to happen. That's all. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm willing this to happen. Yeah, yeah. It's mainly a we want to see Darrell Jones on the field thing, and that also he probably has the athletic ability to do. He's super, super fast. I don't know if he has the strength yet, but we'll see. I don't know. I, I just want to. I just want Darrell Jones on the field because. That corner room is just absolutely just stacked to the brim. That room is nasty because you that, have that, I swear Lee. that room is like ten deep or something <laughs> like that. You have you have Will Lee, Jacob Parrish, Jordan Wright. Will Lee and Jordan Wright were two of the most highly coveted JUCO corners of their respective classes. Jordan Wright a year before Will Lee. Will Lee is probably just Julius Brents too. <laughs> yeah. And Julius Brents is like there's there's some rumblings about you know, Julius Brent's climbing up draft boards with some, like, I believe it was a sports illustrated article saying something to the effect of, yeah, Julius Brent should be a first round pick, which like, yeah, I'll, I'll take that for it. Well, first off, no, but I'll take it for, for a big bowl of confirmation bias, but you know, just having Will Lee, Justice Clemens, Jordan Wright, Omar Daniels, Jacob Parrish, this room is nasty. <laughs> this room is gross. How do you play? Like, what's the Colby McAllister? How, like, how do you play? Where yeah, do you even, play? Then guys are coming in, like Nigel Thomas and Donovan McIntosh, uh, the high school level. What happens with them? I mean, I get why RJ Lester D committed. I'm sad. <laughs> I don't blame him. I do not blame I, I him. If I looked at this corner room. Even if I knew I was a really good player, like I think RJ Lester is, I think Oklahoma State gets an absolute steal with him. I, I'm sitting there being realistic with myself, like, how am I going to play in this corner room? Like, there are so many great players and great athletes in that room. Yeah, I, that, that's it. That's all I got. So now on to the second 2024 commit of this class, and it is the quarterback of this respective class with this last year's class, obviously being Avery, the 22 being Adrian, Lara 21 was that wasn't really, that was 20. Lara. No, Lara was 22, Avery 23, Rubley 21. Oh yeah, that's right. Anyway, 
But the 24 commit is Blake Barnett. He is a three-star 86 on 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 three and 24-7. He actually went to the same high school as John Pastore, one of our favorite recruits of the past couple of years at left tackle. And he's also the top-rated Colorado recruit per on three. He threw for over 3,500 yards and 46 touchdowns in his true junior seat. You can't redshirt in high school, Austin. You can't his junior <laughs> It's junior season. You don't know that. I okay, but <laughs> hey, what do you? But before I go off and and you know do do my thing of hyperfixating on two traits, what do you think of Blake Barnett? I really like Blake Barnett. I was pleasantly surprised by his film and also his speed. Uh, one thing is, yeah, I know, deceptively fast, but he he kind of is. I mean, you look at him and you look at his build, like. Uh, you're like, oh, he's probably not the most mobile, but he alleges that he runs about a four seven. He ran, I think, an eleven one hundred meter. Yeah, it was eleven uh, one. Yeah, so clearly got some speed there. Um, but again, he's got, from what I could tell, again cursory glance. It's only a highlight tape, but he uh, has a, a really good arm to build on, uh, and pretty good at keeping his eyes down the field clearly really comfortable in the pocket, but is really good at navigating has great sense of pressure in the backfield as well. There's a lot of interesting qualities and traits that he brings to the table that I didn't fully expect uh, for going into his film. Uh, He's obviously not as good as Avery Johnson because Avery Johnson's a game breaker athletically. And there's not many guys like that, the quarterback position, but Blake Barnett is a, I, I think a deceivingly good get that hopefully should see some ratings increases here pretty soon. I think he's a little underrated right now. Uh, I don't know if he's a four star, but I do think he's a high three star. And I, I, I'm really intrigued by him and a lot of his natural talent. But Ace, you, 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 you get to get to the nitty gritty. All right. So first things first is I'm beginning to notice a pattern with the recent quarterback commits. And that is we want the guys with a decent degree of athletic upside. But most of all, we want guys with big arms. And, you know, Avery has a big arm. Adrian Laura probably has the best arm on the team, even with Avery committing. And that's no disrespect to anyone else on the roster. Adrian Laura legitimately has all big 12 level arm talent. If he puts it all together, that's that's just the truth. But Blake Barnett. He comes in, and I guess the best way to describe it is that he has all of the tools to have elite arm talent. Now, that that is a distinction from having elite arm talent because he, whenever he's in the pocket making a few throws, the first thing that he might be better at than any other quarterback on the roster at K-State is right now, other than maybe Will, is throwing with touch. Because he is one of the rare high school quarterbacks that understands you don't need to either rainbow it or rifle it in. He's capable of doing both, but he also understands that sometimes you need to put a little air, but not moonball it a lot of times, which is such a rare thing for high school quarterbacks to understand. But in terms of arm strength, he's all, he can put some massive zip on it, but he only really does it when he's on the run and not thinking about it. Because he tends to hit like fadeaways whenever he's in the pocket. And I think that's because he's getting a little bit too much time to think about it. 
But if I just saw his snaps from the pocket, I would say that he has an, a slightly below average arm. But then I see him throw on the run and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> what do you mean? And then you just realize that he can flick. Like it, His release is lightning quick. If you look at his film, he, it does not take him long to release the ball. And he can throw the ball 50 yards with a flick. He's not the type of quarterback that lo- that needs to load up to throw deep. Uh-uh. No, he will just flick the ball 50 yards. And so that's on his arm strength. And he's probably going to be a quarterback that I think has the mentality that he's always going to be looking deep first. I don't think that he's going to be a traditional scrambling threat. I think he's going to be more like Will in the sense that he's going to scramble to extend the plays rather than look to run. And it's not because either of them are slow, but though Blake Barnett is certainly faster than Will. Again, no disrespect to Will, but uh, <laughs> you can definitely tell that the the weight that he put on kind of slowed him down a little bit from his true freshman year, but he became a much better passer, so I'll take it. Uh, but yeah, I I really like the, the pickup of, of Blake Barnett. And I think that he's quietly going to be a really good quarterback. I think that not unfortunate for the program, but I guess somewhat unfortunate for him is that our quarterback room is quietly really solid, at least in terms of raw talent. Like we don't have any many proven commodities, but we have just a bunch of talent stashed away, which is what you want in your quarterback room. So in terms of raw talent, uh, so the the quarterback room with him coming in would be Avery, Will. We'll we'll throw in Will. I'm I'm assuming he goes to the draft. We'll throw in Will, uh, Rubley, Laura, and that's it, right? I think so. Will Will Avery, Laura, and Rubley. I'd honestly probably put Blake Barnett as number like number three. Avery's probably number one. Laura's number two. And then Barnett's probably number three. And sorry, Jake Rubley, that like the unfortunate thing is Rubley's not bad. He's just not like the raw talent guy that you would like that that we're used to recruiting. He's much more polished. He he was much more polished for coming in from high school, and that's why he got his ratings. But yeah, I I love the Blake Barnett pickup pickup. And it was our first choice at quarterback, too. So we're getting our first choices. Yeah, that, that's another thing to really enjoy uh, about recruiting right now is we are starting to get a lot of first choices. Uh, I mean, guy, guys like Avery, Gus Hawkins at tackle. I mean, even going back to this previous class, with uh, Asa Newsom is now a four-star in the 24-7 composite. Um, fun fact, I just learned. But um, yeah, the, the staff recruiting has continued to trend upward. And it, the, the needle continues to point up, and I'm hoping that we'll start to get more uh, 2024 uh, recruits and commits in the near future. That'll really start to kick up once we get to summertime, I yeah. think, but we'll see. Yeah, because the winter winter recruiting tends to kind of be more of a trickle, and then you know April, May start happening, and that's when it tends to pick up a little bit. Because what Camden was the second or first commit, and he committed in like April last year, I th- something like that. I think, yeah. But yeah, it, 
I really like to Blake Barnett pick up. And that's the recruiting news. Now we can talk about, uh, you can tell the tone's already shifted. We can talk about women's basketball. And I just kind of want to gloss over the two losses, and then we can kind of talk about the season up to this point. That that work for you? Fine by me. All right. So we have two consecutive uh, 20-point losses to talk about. The first would be a Texas Tech school that beat us by 20, 85 to 65 in Bramlage. And geez, we, oddly enough, this wasn't our worst day shooting threes. It was still a bad day shooting threes, 23%. But I just, it, credit to us, we got a lot of people, minutes, but that's because the game was a blowout. So, yeah. yeah. Riley Glenn gets 24. But other than that, pretty rough day for most of the team. And then 7 of 30 from 3. That's awful. I mean, better than some performances we've had, but... That's not saying much. Yeah, that's still not good. Yeah, Gabby Gregory going 0 of 7 from the field and 0 of 5 from 3. If if Gabby Gregory's not shooting... If she's not shooting well, I, I there's there's no consistent path to victory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think at this point it's probably clear that she is playing through some kind of injury. Yeah. Um, because she's really not been that good uh, as of late, and she's been struggling to do things that she did a lot in non-conference against even good competition, but like Iowa. Yeah, like Iowa. But yeah, struggles continuing uh, for women's basketball. Yeah, I and then to I I hate to just like gloss over these games, but there isn't much to say. Like there aren't many like notable contributors, you know, Briley Glenn scoring 24, uh Serena Sundell 11, Shamatsi 10, and then a whole lot of not much. I I hate to gloss over games like this, but there's really not much to say, and I have a feeling that we have a lot to say about the season up to this point. So, <laughs> can move on to Baylor. This was down in Waco. We didn't really project us winning this game anyway. Didn't see us losing by 21, though. We ended up losing 69 to 48. And here are a list of our double-digit scorers and what they scored. Gabby Gregory, 13. 2 of 10 from 3. 4 of 19 from the field. Jalen Glenn scored 11. 4 of 10 from the field. Serena Sundell, 4 of 10 from the field, scored 10, 1 of 6 from 3. Heavenly Greer coming off the bench. She was perfect from the field, got 5 rebounds, 10 points. But, again, we went 6 of 32 from 3. The threes are just assassinating this team. Like It almost doesn't really matter who we're playing and what they shoot. Because we can't, like, it doesn't matter if the other team isn't scoring. All they have to do is score slightly more than you when you can't hit threes. Yeah. Yeah. We're at this point, we're just playing high volume shooting for three point shots. Granted, a lot of shots we miss are open. I I don't blame Jeff Mitty, but uh, I mean, I do, but not for that specifically. I mean, if we're missing open shots at some point, you just got to hit them. But we made this ever so slightly interesting in the fourth quarter we cut their lead down to 11 uh it was 56 45 uh with like six minutes to go and we scored one point 
uh, or three points after that, uh, and they scored 13. So uh, they they finished very strong. We did not. They played a better game because uh, we just did not play good uh, in this one at all. Uh, another huge struggle uh, for the uh, the mini cats. Um, Baylor just played significantly better. Um, they got off more shots. Uh, they were more efficient with their shots. They only went to the line five times. Uh, we we were only called for nine fouls in this game, so we played played clean. Okay, yeah, we played okay defense, but the the thing is, is that it just didn't matter because we just cannot hit shots. And we weren't forcing free throws of our own. I mean, shooting 30% from the field, 18.8% from the three. Not only are you going to lose, you deserve to lose with numbers like that. I mean, that's really bad. I get that Baylor's a good team that traditionally gives us pretty significant troubles. But come on, like, uh, that, that's terrible. Like, yeah. And all of a sudden, out of absolutely nowhere, we're on a four-game losing streak. We were in the AP poll at one point this year. We beat number four Iowa at one point this year, and we are just kind of rudderless right now. I'm, yeah. I'm not really sure what to do about it. Yeah, so we've lost five of six and four straight. Our conference record is currently one in five, and the one victory is up against an Oklahoma State squad that is just as equally rudderless as we are. We are so far removed from doubling up Clemson, from beating number four in the country, Iowa, from beating Wisconsin in Wisconsin. We, it feels so long since we won like any of those, like any of our legitimate games. You know, obviously you're not going to beat Texas. I don't expect us to beat Texas down in Austin. I don't expect us to beat Texas in Manhattan. I do expect us to beat West Virginia because West Virginia is not very good. Iowa State, we had a better chance at than the score might indicate because no one was shooting well. And then we lay an egg against an admittedly up-and-coming Texas Tech squad. And then, you know, just lay another egg up against Baylor. Like, I I know you could make a very convincing argument that this is one of this is probably the toughest stretch that we will have in conference play. I'll counter that by saying last year's team probably picks up at least one of those games. And I just want some tangible form of progress from last year. Cause earlier in the year, we were pretty, we were solid hitting from three and it's the same issue from last year. We can't hit threes. Gabby Gregory's obviously playing hurt. And if she's not playing hurt, no, no, she's playing hurt. I think she tweaked her ankle way back in like the or like I think she tweaked her ankle honestly in the Morgan State game and has just been playing hurt ever since. Because the only game that she's been consistently great at during that time would be the Oklahoma State game, and she's shown flashes every other game. But we keep saying it; it can't just be Gabby Gregory and Serena Sundell, because eventually one of them is going to falter a little bit, and. When they do, what's the backup plan? We don't have a backup plan. And that's the worst part about this this women's squad. And I hate to like dumpster on them because I don't think they're a bad squad. I think that quietly the Big 12 is really good at women's basketball as well. And just because it's women's basketball, no one talks about it. 
And that's a cruel reality. It sucks, but it's a cruel reality. But, you know, I, every time that I, I watch this team, I see potential in it. I'm like, oh, Eliza Moppin, she's going to be really good once she develops. Oh, Heavenly Greer is showing flashes as a legitimate, like, force presence whenever she's driving. Oh, Gabby Gregory is such a lethal shooter. Oh, Serena Sandel is an awesome distributor. And we just can't put it all together. And that's the most frustrating part. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of our issues really start to manifest the second we hit conference play. Like, am I... I feel like I'm right there. I mean, the last several years, it feels like we've done all right in non-con, especially last year and this year. Very good non-conference, hit conference play. All of a sudden, offense is struggling. Nothing's really going the way it should. You're not dominating. And I I get the tell that it's just consistent, high-level competition, but we've played really good teams in non-conference as well. I mean, this year we beat Iowa. Iowa's a really quality team. So I I don't know what it is. Maybe it's we're not adjusting our offensive strategies enough. Maybe we're losing our legs in practice. Like maybe we're practicing too hard during the week and we're just exhausted by the time we get to uh, to games and we just don't have our legs. Maybe it's something else. I don't know, but it feels like it's becoming a pattern for K-State women's basketball to start really strong in non-conference and then trail off through big 12 conference play sneak into the tournament and then with a whimper and which is really frustrating because we recruit really well we have really good players i think jeff mitty's a good coach but just something is not working right now i mean one in five in big 12 play that's not good for a team that was ranked at one point this year and beat number four iowa and was able to somewhat contain maybe the best player in college basketball and caitlin clark so I, I I don't know. I I'm very disappointed and frustrated, um, with, with how this season has gone. But it's following a similar pattern to what we've seen, albeit to a lesser degree, because we had Aoka Lee last year to cover up some of those issues. Yeah, I, I, and honestly, if there's one thing that this, if we're hitting, you know, even like thirty five percent from threes we very well may be like a, we, we, it's not, it, there's a non-zero chance that we're five and one in conference. We still lose to Texas. There's a non-zero chance that if we're hitting from like 30% from three, we end up winning all those games. We definitely win West Virginia. We definitely win West Virginia. We win Iowa state. We beat Texas tech probably handedly. And we at least make it a game with Baylor. And it should, if there's one thing that we need to improve on, and I know it's not that easy. I, simple does not always mean easy. Like you can tell someone to win a hundred meter dash. And you ask them how they do it. It's like, Oh, it's simple. Just be faster than everyone else. That's not how that works. <laughs> it's, that's not how that works. It, it's not helpful to just say hit more threes, but that's literally the only problem. <laughs> yeah. Just missing. We're taking a high volume of threes and we're not converting very consistently. The only thing we're consistent at with three pointers is missing a lot of them. And I mean, six of 32, geez, that, that's like kind of end of last season numbers. I mean, at the end of last year, we were just utterly awful. We were maybe the, for the last like four ish games last year uh, in the regular season, we were probably the worst three point shooting team I'd ever seen. 
I remember the, uh, the the KU game in Lawrence. What was that? It? That was zero at twenty two yeah, at one point. That, that was the single worst three point shooting performance I've ever seen. I don't know what it is. Do we just not practice three point shooting at all? Do we just expend all of our energy on the defensive end of the floor? I don't know what the deal is. Like something's causing us to lose our legs, not be comfortable with open threes. Maybe we just aren't good shooters. I don't know what the the answer is. I mean. It doesn't explain why somebody like Rebecca Dollinger is an All-American in JUCO hitting like 40% of her threes and comes to K-State and she can barely hit 20% of them. I mean, I, I'm i not really sure what the answer is there. I'm not sure what the reasoning is there. I'm sure that they will figure it out. I'm hopeful that they will. But and it's frustrating. I'm sure it is for them as well. So I won't pile on too much, but... Yeah, it's a it's a disappointing start to Big Twelve play here as we're nearing the halfway point. Yeah, and you know, hopefully we have a little something more to talk about. We have arguably our easiest stretch of of or at least stretch of three with TCU, Oklahoma State, and a Kansas squad that, while good, has looked beatable. Then Iowa State, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Baylor, like that. We got basically our hardest games out of the way at the very beginning. And then we end off the season in Bramlage against Texas. I I don't like ending our season up against Texas, but okay. But <laughs> somebody has to, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, rather it not be us. But I would I prefer that too. But yeah, that I it sucks that it had to be like a rant. It really does, because we had such high hopes for this team based on based on the the non-con and kind of we just got bait we we fell into the same track as we did last year where we got baited based on the non-con we did the exact same thing last year and we did it again and it's frustrating you know we're going to be careful next year with uh how we allocate our uh our emotions and our and our happiness yeah. Steam is uh has now taken taken that from us two years consecutively. Oh, don't worry. We'll find a way to convince ourselves next year. We'll say Ioko Lee's back. Gisela Sanchez is going to be the answer for, as a as a long range shooter. Don't worry. We'll convince ourselves. But that <laughs> but that's the the women's basketball news. Now we can talk about and end off in a little brighter. That is the wacky segment of the week, and we're going to, the this week's segment is. Trading is now legal in college football. So you can you can trade players, you can trade like NIL deals, you can trade, I guess, well, there's no equivalent to draft pick. You can trade recruits, I guess. <laughs> What's the first trade that you make? And it has to be the caveat of it's reasonable. So you can't just trade like you can't trade Max Marsh for like Jane Rashada or something like that. <laughs> okay. Well, that rules out my first idea. So I'll have to, I'll have to think of something else. But no, I'm, I don't know. This, this is an interesting question. I think maybe what I would do, I would probably trade one offensive lineman that is not named Cooper Beebe for Thomas Harper, who just transferred to Tennessee, I think. Uh, Thomas Harper is a safety. He was at Oklahoma State. I thought he, he transferred was- to Notre Dame. I thought he went to Tennessee. Maybe he went to Notre Dame. But um, Thomas Harper, safety, formerly of Oklahoma State, is now somewhere further east than Oklahoma. Don't know exactly where now. But 
I, I, I would trade for him uh, to help increase our safety depth. He was a target that we were in on. Uh, we're hopeful to get. So it'd be someone that's already familiar with the program. And we're really deep in offensive line. So that's where I feel most comfortable trading someone. I hate trading somebody away, but I think that's the best place to do it from. Yeah. So my answer is going to be, it, 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 you, I guess you could call it a bit of a, a bit of a blockbuster trade. I would trade Christian Duffy, I, you know, Christian Duffy, Darrell Jones and Jake Rubley for Dominic Lovett from Georgia. Would that be enough? Do you think? I am willing to negotiate to give more. They can have what a first first they, pick. Yeah, they could. They could have Cash anyone. They could have Sorry. anyone in the receiver room not named Keegan Johnson or RJ Garcia. They can take anyone else from that room. They can take multiple people from that room, including new recruits. If they want Spivey, they can have him. Dominic Lovett would instantly be like it. Even if we lose a little bit of depth, Dominic Lovett instantly steps in and is probably the best receiver in the Big 12. Yeah. Yeah. He he's really, really, really good. Hopefully Georgia would accept that. I don't think uh, they would, but I would at least try. That's fair. Like, like I'm mad when you're like trying to like trade picks for something and like yeah. you just like keep adding slightly better picks over and over until the AI says it's good enough. Yeah, you just keep min-maxing. <laughs> Yeah, that that's what I do. Be sure, like, if you this is actually one that I I really want a lot of audience feedback just to see what people say. So at Aguibo Acats, let us know what your trade would be. I expect a whole three responses. Uh, <laughs> over <laughs> under three point five. I will say tentatively over because I think someone's going to post like two. <laughs> oh, you think someone's going to post? Okay, I guess that's fair, but. Well, we'll have true alley cat Evan D. Channel. <laughs> he he will have a trade. He's a true alley cat. <laughs> but yeah, that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at AC Edwards 00. I'm at Connor Baltazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff-approved Doom Tang Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>